When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport for the ultimate preview of this weekend's Premier League action, including the North London derby and Chelsea's trip to Leeds. With me, Sam Matterface, this week, the assistant editor at the Daily Mirror, Darren Lewis, TalkSport's football reporter and commentator, Alex Crook is also here. North London calling as Arsenal look for their first Derby Day win since Ariana Grande topped the charts with her ode to self-love. But if the Gunners lose again, will it be thank you next for Arteta? Chelsea unbeaten in 10 under Tommy T, but Bielsa Ball is a different prospect for the snappy dresser professor. Also, this weekend sees Newcastle, Brighton and Fulham have crucial fixtures and David Moyes returns to Old Trafford looking to blow a hole in the top four. But will it be hard without Lingard? All that and more on the podcast that stands tall with Cristiano. Or not actually, because we too would turn our backs in the wall if we had a face like that. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Well, hello. How are we? Is everyone okay? Darren Lewis, are you okay? You're looking very dapper this morning. It's lovely to be with you, to to have your company on this wonderful uh, Thursday. What's, What's going on with you? Well, the sun's out, and so obviously I have to. I, I, it's a great opportunity to get rid of all of the different layers. I do the knitwear in recent weeks, as you've seen, but now the sun's out, the shirt's out, oh, we, and a little bit of chest hair as well. Yes, I saw a little bit of that. Someone who's very hairy, Alex Crook, uh, down on great the sunshine. Uh, South Coast. Uh, I'm in Manchester, so as you can imagine, it's raining. Um, uh, but what's going on with you, Crook? You, you in a great mood this week, buoyed by the fact that uh, Manchester United beat City and they've restructured their their footballing department. You must be in a great mood. I am in a great mood because uh, it's the Cheltenham Festival next week. So actually, this podcast is getting in the way of my uh, my studying the form. But uh, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. The sun is out. All is well. Getting in the way. Oh, right. Okay. Well, you know, obviously, I mean, I think Nigel Adley is available. It's not, <laughs> not too much of a problem. Um, right. We've got so much to get through, including a brilliant statistic from the Arsenal-Tottenham game. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, Southampton and Brighton, which is on Sunday live on Game Day. We've got terrific matches available for you this weekend across the uh, Talk Sport Network. Um, but it is a jam-packed weekend. So I suppose we should get to it, shouldn't we, Darren? This is the time for lovemaking. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. <laughs> No. no, no, what? This is the time for lovemaking. What do you mean? <laughs> was that you pressing that, or was that? Did you agree that with um, Lucy? No, no, I, I've got, I've got one, one for you each. <laughs> A century of history and tradition makes this game what it is. Torreira is in right inside of the area. Lacazette wanted the pullback. Torreira ignored it and did the job himself. Oh! 
Tottenham 2. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Is there anything left from this man to surprise us? Here's uh, Theo Walcott through the centre. He's going to beat the goalkeeper for a second time. Is he? Yes, he is! And he's definitely won it for Arsenal now. Arsenal 5, Tottenham 2. The whistle blows and Tottenham win in the North London derby. Harry Kane, the hero. Tottenham 2, Arsenal 1. Bergkamp, Vieira. For Perez, oh, what 2. A what a goal. Deflected. Oh, it's hit the post. And Lennon has equalised in one of the most astonishing finishes of the season. Spurs make the breakthrough. And Harry Kane makes a start on a second century of Tottenham Hotspur goals. Cuts it back, looking for Sanchez. 2-0 to Arsenal. Alexis Sanchez. Four and a half miles separate uh, these two and seven points and three Premier League places as the Gunners in 10th take on Spurs who have won their last three Premier League games including scoring uh, nine goals and conceding just once. And Do they have the upper hand, Darren, going into the North London derby? Yes, I, I think Spurs do have the upper hand largely because they've got three points of attack that are in fantastic form and the Arsenal defence is in poor form. And I can't see a scenario where that Arsenal defence keeps out Gareth Bale, Harry Kane and Song Hoon. It's as simple as that. Um, Arsenal claim that they had been given a little bit of a disadvantage group because they were away on Thursday night in Piraeus. Uh, Spurs at home in the Europa League, suggesting that Arsenal would be affected by the travelling. Actually, when the two met earlier in the season, it was the other way round. Uh, but that didn't get a mention until Mourinho piped up with it this week. Um, Arsenal need to control what they control, don't they? And not sort of try and find excuses before they start the game. Yeah, my instant reaction when you uh, were saying that was tough. You know, that's the way the cookie crumbles if you're in European competition. Clearly, it's not Tottenham's fault that Arsenal have been drawn away. Um, I think we've known for a while now that the Europa League is Arsenal's main priority. So I guess... Uh, the strength of the team that Mikel Arteta sends out in this game will be very dependent on how they get on in in, in Greece. Obviously, we don't know that at the time of recording. I agree with Darren. Um, on paper, Tottenham should have too much, but North London derbies aren't one on paper. And, and this does seem to be a fixture uh, where Spurs at times have a bit of a mental block. So actually, I think this is a, a big indicator, this game of whether they are truly back on the right track under Jose Mourinho I think is a fascinating encounter well Arsenal haven't won a derby since December 2018 when Jan Vertonghen was sent off at the Emirates I mean they've only won two of the last 12 so if anyone has a mental block it actually seems to be Arsenal doesn't it Darren yeah I would agree with that also Arsenal have only won two of the last seven games the first goal is going to be quite key in this match I think they've only come from behind on three or four occasions this season. Definitely less than a handful. And I think as far as Spurs are concerned, I just can't see how Arsenal get through this game without conceding. The last time they kept a clean sheet was against Man United. I think it is on the 30th of January. And that's what won in something like 12, 13 games. I mean, the run is poor. And I think, I hear what Crook said about the Europa League and that is a priority. The trouble is for a club like Arsenal, there shouldn't just be one priority. You're rich. You've got a, a, a but, but fine squad, on, Darren, good have players. You not seen, have you not seen this, this wonderful transition that they've gone 
uh, under since Mikel Arteta walked through the door? Have you not seen this 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 sort of development of the squad? I mean, Arsenal fans will tell you that this is you know they're they're optimistic about what's happening under the Spaniards. I have to put my cards on the table for a long time after Arteta arrived. I, I was very much team Arteta in so much as I like the clarity of his tactics, his authoritative style. I think he, he had a lot more authority about him in relation to his predecessor, Unai Emery. And they looked to be on the right track winning the FA Cup last season, but they've gone backwards this season. Nobody would deny that. Defeat in this match for Arsenal, especially if they get smashed up by a front three that could easily do that. Mm. And I think even though the Europa, Europa League, as Alex rightly says, is their priority, Arsenal fans will not be happy because it will be a snapshot of just how far they've fallen. Because make no mistake, Spurs have had a nightmare season. And yet they're seven points ahead. They're winning games again. And they could even finish in the top four. Well, they can um, finish in the top four, can't they? But, uh, you, you know, you said they've had a nightmare season. But if they take the handbrake off, as they are at the moment, I mean, they've scored four goals five times in their last eight matches before Thursday night. Um, do you expect Mourinho to pull the handbrake back up again, Crook? for the visit uh, to the Emirates Stadium? Or do you think he'll go, do you know what? We've had such success with Bale, Son and Kane over the last uh, few months. We, we might as well continue. I hope it's the latter um, because Tottenham have been really good to watch um, in recent weeks since he became a, a more attack-minded coach. And, and Darren's right to highlight that the weakest part of Arsenal's team is the back line. So um, it's... With Tottenham's attack, that should strike fear into that Arsenal defence. So I really hope for, for Tottenham fans and, and for us as neutrals that Jose Mourinho allows that front three to, to do their business. Did he make a mistake or is it the gruelling fixture list that stopped Tottenham from going full tilt at it this season? Or is it entirely down to his pragmatism when he got beat? Well, not when he got beat, when he conceded that late goal against West Ham. I think it's a work in progress um, for Jose Mourinho. I mean, I think the, the Tottenham defence is still in need of a bit of a makeover. And I think that's why at times he, he's been reluctant to go full throttle because he's conscious that that maybe they could be caught out on the counter-attack. But certainly uh, that West Ham game uh, w- was everything that Jose Mourinho would hate to watch um, from the sidelines. 3-0 uh, up with nine minutes to go. Normally, Jose Mourinho sees out the game and they win comfortably. Obviously, that didn't happen. And I do think that changed his mindset uh, temporarily obviously you had Gareth Bale feeling his way back to full fitness and I think actually it was seen at the time that, that that Jose was almost refusing to use Gareth Bale I think he was just giving him the opportunity to to get back up to speed having not played much football for Real Madrid now is he looks it, to be back to his best is there no coincidence actually that uh, Gareth has started to play incredibly well since they shut the golf courses or is, is that just being a bit of a stirrer I mean, Do you know, I think Mourinho deserves a lot of credit in the same way that people have to give credit to Pep Guardiola for Phil Foden because of for a long time, pundits and ex-pros were saying, Foden's got to leave. He's got to go somewhere he's going to start regular first-team football. Look at Dele Alli playing every week. Foden's got to go somewhere where he's going to play every week. But Guardiola nursed him, kept him patient, kept him hungry, and now... City and possibly England in the summer are reaping the rewards. I think you've got to give Mourinho credit in the same way to Bale because Bale stayed quiet, stayed patient. He's nursed him along. He talked last week about the emotional scars as well as the physical scars of being on the bench for so long at Real Madrid for Bale. And now Bale looks like a footballer who is once again in love with football. And we know how much you love love, you know, as we've already (laughs) found out. 
on, on the, I, I think um, as long as they play the game at the right time. I think <laughs> as far as I think as far as Bale is concerned, weirdly, <laughs> Harry Kane isn't even the biggest danger to Arsenal uh, when you consider how many um, the goals Kane has scored so far this season. That's saying something. Bale is just. He's moving into top gear. And obviously this is a slight stepping up in class from the other teams have played. But Bale, if he's in the zone, he could destroy Arsenal. Yeah, and, and that he's sort of shown that over the last few weeks that when he is at his full tilt, he can cause anybody problems. He can almost conjure up something from anywhere. But Harry Kane, how, how close do you think he should be to being the PFA player of the year because he's a bit of an outsider at, at the moment he's third or fourth favorite but he's up there in terms of assists he's up there in terms of goals very close to the top of the charts in both of those in the Premier League should there be more consideration he's never won it before Crook his numbers are off the chart um, and he's almost just done it off the radar I don't think he's caused the publicity that maybe he deserves given the number of goals that he's been involved in and of course he's got a fantastic record in this fixture as well I think in terms of player of the year history tells us it tends to come if not from the champions then the runners up and obviously Tottenham aren't going to fill over those two spaces so I think it, I would make him um, a big outsider but I think he's so selfless for this Tottenham team. And, and, and Darren's right there that at the moment, Gareth Bale, you would argue, is, is the biggest danger. But part of the reason for that is that Harry Kane is happy to drop back into midfield and, and let Gareth Bale attack those spaces that he would normally fill. I, I think he's been absolutely terrific um, for Tottenham this season. And as I said, I'm not sure he's necessarily got the credit that he deserves for that. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yet another blockbusting game day across the TalkSport network. 
Harrison in the area, makes it three. That's glorious, absolutely glorious from Leeds United. Chelsea 2, Everton 0, a vital three points for Chelsea as Thomas Tuchel's side cement their Champions League charge. This club, the structure and this team, we have everything to win every game. Top quality from James Rodriguez and it's Everton who lead by a goal to nil. I think that there will be there a big fight until the end of the season. We can fight. Crossing is met by a header which goes in off the post and it's Chris Wood and Burnley have come from behind. Full-time whistle goes, the Fulham players all congratulate each other a massive huddle. Liverpool nil. Fulham one. I know we can get results in this league. I know we'll be more than fine in this league. I honestly do. Manchester City saw it out. They go 14 points clear at the top of the Premier League table. Everybody knows it, how difficult it is every single single game. What you have to do is try to, to do it as best as possible and, and see what happens. Finally, the goal is breached by a dominant Southampton. Cheyenne's on the mark. Brighton once again taking the lead and fouling to win. They are right in the thick of the relegation battle now. No better place to hear it than on game day. Uh, Leeds against Chelsea is a 12.30 start Saturday. It's live on game day. Back in the day, this match, Leeds against Chelsea, was a massive grudge game. The 1970 FA Cup final, it went to a replay. Chopper Harris, Norman, bite your legs, Hunter. The dodgy mud bath pitches. Well, some things never change. Uh, Chelsea controlled their game against Everton on Monday night. Can they play that way against the man-marking high-tempo Leeds United, Darren? Yes, they can, in a word, uh, because Chelsea defensively are stronger. I think in the way that they play, they're more conservative and they've got the ability to kill Leeds off. Leeds play too open. Leeds will give opportunities to the pacey players in the Chelsea team to hurt them and I believe Chelsea will hurt them. It doesn't even need that deep an analysis of this game because I think the way that Bielsa is committed to playing will be always be entertaining on the eye but ultimately it will enable teams who are more intelligent about the way that they go about their business to take advantage. And they, they, they have picked up some decent results though haven't they? I mean Danny Mills was in the team the last time Leeds beat Chelsea in December 2002. They've done okay against the big teams. They draw with Manchester City. They didn't do too badly on the opening day at Anfield. They drew with Arsenal. They beat Leicester uh, but they would love a big scalp and Leeds fans of a certain vintage would love it to be Chelsea but they could have got something out of that game against West Ham on Monday night had they have been a little bit more careful, as Darren said, and a little bit more ruthless, Alex. Yeah, they were a better team um, in, in, until West Ham scored. But once again, they've conceded from a set piece. And I think that will be an area that uh, Thomas Tuchel looks to exploit this weekend. Chelsea have got a big aerial threat and, and Leeds just can't defend free kicks and corners into the box. They've been great to watch Leeds. But I do think that's given Bielsa a little bit of a free pass, given the fact that, you know, we're deep, deep into the Premier League season now and they still haven't really improved um, defensively. And as Darren says, they're, they're, they're an opposition you love to play against as a forward player because you know you're going to get space in behind that defence. You know you're going to get chances. Thomas Tuchel, very efficient so far for Chelsea. Not necessarily great on the eye, but that was a dominant performance against Everton. And I have seen it mentioned um, by Kev Hatchard, our German correspondent, who obviously has a bit of a soft spot for Thomas Tuchel, that he thinks Chelsea could well be the biggest challenges to Manchester City next season. I wonder, Sam, uh, if you share that opinion. I think they need a striker because at the moment they're, they're playing Kai Havertz as the force nine and obviously Timo Werner has missed a, a terrible number of chances and seriously... I question whether or not actually he's ever going to be the kind of striker uh, that Chelsea need 
in the fact that he, he just doesn't give the numbers that you probably require if you're going to challenge Manchester City. Uh, Havertz played as a force nine on Monday night. Abraham was injured, and I think there was a bit of a falling out there. Uh, Giroud been on the bench. He's obviously getting on in years. So they'll have to recruit if they're going to do that. They've got a great squad. Um, I think they, they, they're they slowly but surely getting better. Whether or not they can challenge a juggernaut like Manchester City, especially if uh, in the transfer market in the summer, City come in and blow everybody out of the water and sign Haaland, it's going to be very, very difficult to do that. But I think they, they're, they're on the right track. And I think he has to challenge Manchester City if he wants to stay in the job because the, the criteria has been set out. It is win or we'll get somebody else to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously... He'll be in the final year of his contract then. I think it's great for the Premier League that, that we've got a, a strong Chelsea side for this for this final run-in. And, and we, we said when he came in that we expected them to make the top four. And I know there was a lot of um, anger and angst amongst Chelsea fans when Frank Lampard was relieved of his duties. But you've got to say, what, 11 games in now? It, it looks the correct decision. I must just add to that. I mean, I, I do think that Chelsea will be strong next season, absolutely. But I think Liverpool will be stronger. I, I know we're going to get to them. Of course here, he goes. Of course here, here he goes. Here he goes. Of course you do. <laughs> this is the time for lovemaking. <laughs> That's totally out of... <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah, Liverpool playing on Monday night, we're not even covering them this week, but somehow uh, we managed to you know, crook them into the conversation. Yeah. Just edit me out of that, Lou. Uh, carry on. No, no way. No way. <laughs> um, uh, Bamford, 13 from 27. Talk of an England cap has sort of died, hasn't it, really? It has died, but I think what Bamford had set out to achieve this season, he's achieved. I've got nothing but positive things to say about Bamford because people doubted that he could score goals in the top division. And he's gone on to do just that. And so as far as I'm concerned, this season has been a success. Every player in the final third every striker drops off for a period in the Premier League we know that except for the very 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 best ones so I don't read anything negative into what he's done so far this season I've been impressed and he'll be pleased yeah and I think he always missed chances even in the championship so the fact that he's missed a few chances in the in the Premier League is no surprise but he has taken 13 uh, in 27 and that's a one in two record for a Premier League striker that's a good return isn't it yeah, I guess the issue for Leeds, uh, given that I don't see them improving defensively, is if uh, opponents wise up to to them as an attacking unit next season, that the second season syndrome that so many teams have suffered from, and maybe even Bamford himself. So I think I think it's a big summer ahead for Leeds because I think they still need a couple of reinforcements to make sure they can cement themselves in the Premier League. We say it every year, but I don't expect the Premier League to be as weak at the bottom of the table as it is this season. I don't think there'll be two teams as bad as West Brom and Sheffield United. I don't know. Norwich are coming up. Yeah, but they'll have learned from last time they were in the Premier League. They didn't buy. They insisted that they were going to stick to their principles and their principles got them uh, sent down. That's not saying that it's not good to have principles, but the Premier League is a very, very unforgiving league. And if you're going to compete in that division, you need quality. And I think second time around, well, it's not the second time, but you understand what I mean. I think if they come up, they'll buy because they'll need to. Well, I don't know if they've got the money to do that, but they certainly will need to because um, I think we, we all got lectured by Norwich fans about uh, you know 18 months ago telling us that their style was of a such that they could compete in the Premier League. And we found out very quickly that that wasn't the case. I'll tell you who has been uh, competing in the Premier League this season. West Ham. 
all changed behind the scenes at Manchester United this week and they take on West Ham 7.15 on Sunday night John Murta and Darren Fletcher now having a greater influence over the football side of the business meaning Ed Woodward uh, the much maligned Ed Woodward uh, takes just a little bit more of a backseat I think in that department in terms of recruitment um, a more hands-off approach on the pitch United still buzzing from the derby win but a meeting with West Ham comes with its perils Crook doesn't it? Yeah, although we thought that uh, when they were drawn together in the FA Cup and, and West Ham were really disappointing that night, I think given this is a Premier League game and that West Ham are, are very much in the discussion now for a top four finish, I would expect David Moyes to be better, uh, to send his team out to be more competitive. But obviously they won't have Jesse Lingard on loan from Manchester United. That's a massive hole to fill. He's been exceptional uh, since he arrived at London Stadium. I think taking a lot of people, even West Ham fans, uh, by surprise. United should take confidence from that win against Manchester City. Consistency has been the buzzword. They have struggled, uh, especially given their poor home record, relatively poor home record, to put together a consistent run of results. They're going to need to do that to cement themselves in the top four. But it's interesting, Darren Fletcher um, being given a more increased presence at the club because there's a player there at the moment that I would draw parallels uh, between him and Darren Fletcher in the form of Scott McTominay. Uh, we had a caller on Darren Bent's boot room a couple of weeks ago lamenting Scott McTominay and I didn't really understand it. I think he's been excellent for Manchester United this season and I think we've spoken before on this programme about maybe players who come through academy systems and Mason Mount possibly suffered with this at Chelsea. They get a hard time from supporters because they don't command a transfer fee. And I think McTominay certainly fits into that bracket. United, for me, look a better team when McTominay plays in midfield. And Darren Fletcher suffered the same kind of criticism when he first came into the team. And I think now most United fans realise what an important job he did. And McTominay, for me, is becoming the Darren Fletcher of 2021. And the thing about Darren Fletcher being part of the pathway, guiding younger players from the academy into the first team is that and also attracting younger players when they're choosing which club's academy to join is that he can legitimately say you know this is a club that has got a tradition of bringing through talent and bringing it into the first team I'm an example of that I've come from the the academy pitches and I've gone on and I've won the Champions League you know that is a major attraction isn't it you know a, a living embodiment of what you can achieve if you if you join Manchester United so I suppose that's a that's a good thing uh, for yeah. the club um, West Ham benefit from not having any other distractions Manchester United certainly do have those uh, and they, they are brilliant at set pieces and they are relatively easy on the eye if a little bit functional I think you have to champion their recruitment as well. They were quoted 30 million quid for James Tarkovsky at the beginning of the season, told to do one by Sean Dyche. And they bought in Craig Dawson instead. And that's been a superb bit of business. I know that Stuart Pearce and, and Alan Irvin pushed for that one. It was a golden bit of work, Darren. Absolutely. You know my views on West Ham. I've um, believed that they were capable of forcing themselves into the European picture this season. Largely because I've seen, I saw a lot of them under... Pellegrini, I've seen a lot of them under Moyes and he's got a plan. He's built a good, solid defensive formation and Dawson has slotted right into that. Just to go back to what you were saying about Man United, they play in in Europe this week, whereas West Ham don't, so they've got extra time. But let's not kid ourselves. United have got the deeper squad. They've got players to come off the bench that are quality. West Ham have been winning games without a recognised striker. Plus, they're going to be without, as Crook says, one of the guys that has compensated for the lack of a striker with his pace, his, his ingenuity, his creativity, his ability to score goals. 
So West Ham are going to be hampered. But I think the spirit that Moyes has built up there has been fantastic. And as you rightly say, the players he's brought in, Kufal, 5.4 million pounds, Suchek, 18 million pounds, Bowen from Hull, and Antonio, of course, that he's managed to transform from a right-sided, inconsistent winger into a bustling centre-forward. He's done a great job. Yeah, Bowen's gone off the ball just a little bit, hasn't he, over the last couple of weeks? It's, it's but his work so... rate's fantastic, though, Sam. Yeah. That's the key thing. It's not so much the goals with Bowen, you know. It's the work rate, the graft. That's why Yarmolenko and Fernandez can't get into the team. They don't graft like Bowen does. And that's, in a way, obviously goals win games, etc., etc. But the graft that Bowen provides is... is it's symb- symbolic of what Moyes wants from his footballers. I, I think the only danger for Manchester United, and you've talked about Jesse Lingard not being available for West Ham and the fact that United have got a deeper squad. The only danger really is, I suppose, is is the possibility of another stodgy home performance at Old Trafford, which has happened in big games this season after they've played in Europe. I mean, they, I think they beat Leipzig 5-0 on a Wednesday, then played Arsenal on a Sunday and lost uh, to that Pierre-Emerick or Bamiyang uh, penalty. So they, they've got a habit of not really performing consistently day in, day out. And that, you know, if they have one of those off days, then West Ham will take advantage. Yeah, and to, and to coin Darren's uh, terminology, you, you still can't trust United. You know, you go into a game. There was a period, actually, when you could. I was going into games more confident that... that they'll be okay today. I, I don't have that feeling against West Ham because you know you're going to get plenty of effort and endeavour from West Ham. David Moyes will come up with a game plan to, tr- to try and stifle Fernandes and, and therefore try and stifle United's attacking threat. The, the mindset and the mentality is going to be right. They can't afford to go out on the pitch with the same attitude they showed against West Brom, um, against Sheffield United, because if they do that, they could welcome unstuck. Um, Leicester City against Sheffield United, 2pm on Sunday. The Foxes came from behind to beat Brighton last weekend. But can they overcome a Sheffield United team that despite their failings against Southampton, um, have won seven of their last 14 in all competitions, Darren? Yes, they can. Uh, because I think the wheels are starting to come off at Sheffield United. I was very surprised to see Chris Wilder talking about wanting to get players out now if he could. Uh, bef- uh, so far, or, or until that point, he'd been very, very supportive of his players, but quite clearly he's had to get after a few of them. I think that heads are starting to drop. I think Leicester keep being written off, and each time they keep being written off, they bounce back. I think they aren't just relying on Jamie Vardy. Kalachi Iheanacho is now scoring goals and has his confidence back. And there are a number of reasons why I think Leicester will win this game and continue to confound people who don't think that they're going to be in the top four come the end of the season. Uh, Do you think Chris Wilder is going to be the manager of Sheffield United next season, Crook? Probably not, to be honest. Um, From speaking to our excellent uh, Sheffield correspondent, Yorkshire correspondent, Alan Biggs, over the course of the season, he's sensed for a while this problem between Chris Wilder and the board uh, may well come to a head, and it seems to be that way. Chris Wilder getting a bit more outspoken um, in press conferences. I think he hates the idea of a, a director of football being brought in above his head. I think to play devil's advocate, you can understand why the Sheffield United owners maybe feel the need to do that because their dealings in the transfer market haven't been great. You look at the money that was spent um, on Rian Brewster, that's been a disaster for Sheffield United. If you're going to pay that kind of transfer fee for a striker who, who really plays, let alone scores goals, that is going to set alarm bells ringing. I think a parting of the ways 
looks inevitable. Do I think it's the best thing for Sheffield United long-term? Probably not, because if you're looking for a manager to take them back out of the Championship next season, Chris Wilder would be top of most people's list. But it's a very uneasy relationship and I can see it becoming very difficult for Chris Wilder to continue. Leicester lacking a little bit of creativity without Barnes and Madison, but Brendan Rodgers would have used, I think, this this rare week where they haven't got any football to refocus his team, get them back on track, because this is a game that they can't afford to drop points in in the congested top four race, Darren. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, they don't have Barnes, they don't have Madison, but they do have Tielemans. And a couple of his passes in the last couple of games have been so good that they deserve the three points alone uh, I think you could get I, I wish you could get points for artistic impression because I think he has been just so good and I wonder if the, in the summer a couple of even bigger clubs will come calling for him because uh, you know he would walk into the first team anyway and with him in the side with Diddy in the side they still do have a midfield capable of dominating Sheffield United so I've got no complaints there I don't think you're the only one who would like to see points for artistic impression Uh, Graham Potter certainly would like that too because certainly Brighton would have a lot more if they did award them Uh, Sheffield United aren't going to leave Leicester any space in behind to run into though are they And, and for all their development they still rely on that Alex don't they uh, yes, although um, Jamie Vardy did less of that uh, against Brighton. There were a couple of occasions where actually he held the ball up on the edge of the penalty area and, and tried to bring uh, the likes of uh, Iannaccio and on one particular occasion Tavares into play. Jamie Vardy's only scored one goal in his last 14 matches. I think what will please Brendan Rodgers, uh, given that statistic, which is unusual, of course, for Vardy, usually so prolific, is that Iannaccio finally has started uh, stepping up to the plate and started scoring important goals as well so he's spoken publicly uh, Brendan Rodgers about the fact they need a succession plan to Vardy probably most Foxes supporters don't believe Ian Acho is that successor but certainly he's, he's on good form at the moment and even with Vardy not firing as we're used to seeing they're going to have too much for Sheffield United Okay let's turn our attention to Crystal Palace against West Brom and welcome along <laughs> The wonderful producer Lucy. Hello, how are you? Hello, yeah, I'm good, Tom. Um, people don't know this, but um, whilst we were recording on Sunday night, um, Trevor, who'd never met you, Trevor Sinclair, who'd never met you before or ever seen you before, uh, as soon as he saw your face pop up, he got very excited. Oh, hello, Lucy, how are you? I've never met you before. Oh, you've got a mole like me. Straight away. And I, I, I thought, you know, that was a bit of an odd thing for him to say. And then he went, oh, beauty spot, beauty spot. I meant beauty spot. Um, I, I, have you taken that up with HR? No, I'm actually thinking about doing a DNA test. We could have some kind of like distant relation. It's worth checking out. You never know. I've seen his pad. You might be able to claim some of it. Thanks for the tip. Okay, no problem. Right, what you got for us? Okay, so this week, Real at Rivalry is slightly different. So we're going to take a look at Crystal Palace v West Brom. So Sam, Darren and Crook, I will ask you to make a case for one of these three results in Saturday's game between Crystal Palace and West Brom. So as we know, it's one of the most eagerly anticipated games of the season with Palace (laughs) fighting for 13th and West Brom trying not to be as bad as Sheffield United. The roulette will will determine which result you have to make a case for, and you'll have 45 seconds to do so. Oh, okay. Spin the wheel then, Luce. (laughs) Who's going first? 
Crook. <laughs> I'm going to give you West Brom win. <laughs> if you do this, you get a job defending one of the most guiltiest of guilty people in the old Bailey. Well, um, as you know, I have been studying furiously this week, so can I make a case for Shishkin to win at Cheltenham instead? Um, West Bromwich Albion, I unfortunately had to sit through them boring their way to a point last weekend against Newcastle. They were dreadful. Uh, Newcastle even worse. They do have a player in Dianyu who gets himself into decent goal-scoring uh, positions. The trouble is he doesn't seem to be able to put the ball in the back of the net um, very often. Uh, Crystal Palace with Wolf Zaha back, that makes it more difficult for, for West Brom. But they have tightened up defensively, started keeping clean sheets, which is a hallmark of Sam Allardyce. If they could do that again, Palace not prolific. And Deanne, you can take one of those chances. This is going to be a famous victory for those boing, boing Stop. baggies. Why do you look like an extra from Greece today, Matt Face, by the way? Um, because Greece is the word. I thought it was because he had chills and they were multiplying. <laughs> Extra from Greece? What? Because I've got a, a, a an overshirt on. A yeah, you've got the, the you've got the sort of quiff hair there as well. That, that's not it's out like, of choice. That's out of the fact that I haven't been able to go to the barber since December, and it's now March. Really? Really? Is that true? Yeah. Tell me more. Oh, very <laughs> good. <laughs> oh. This is the time for lovemaking. Um, <laughs> Anyway, come on, let's crack on. What have I got? A draw. A draw. Well, of course this is going to be a draw because it's the two teams that never score any goals. It's the two most boring teams in the entire league if you take Newcastle out of it. Uh, Crystal Palace, they've scored three goals in five home league games, something like that. Um, they had about three shots in about three months. I saw them against Brighton and they criminally stole all of the points from East Sussex that day. West Bromwich Albion, as Crook has already alluded to, they've got a striker who gets in good positions but doesn't score goals. They've got actually started to, to sort of keep clean sheets every now and again as well, although they have got uh, an issue with making mistakes at the back. But at least they're playing a team that never score any. But if they do score, uh, Crystal Palace, it will come from Wilfred Zaha. They'll probably give West Brom another chance. It's definitely going to be a draw. What's next, Luce? Darren, I'm going to give you... Palace victory. Off you go. Um, well, on the face of it, I, I would actually go for the draw, but I think Palace can win because West ha West Brom are so bad. They've only won uh, once in their last 10 games. They've only scored six goals as part of that run. They are horrendous away from home. I think in their last three games away from home, they lost twice and drew the other. One of those defeats was to Spurs, so you may, could maybe understand that, but the other was to Sheffield United. They seem to lack fight. They certainly don't lack the belief that other Sam Allardyce sides have had when he's taken over and had a transfer window mid-season to be able to improve them. That was good waffling. Even though you were supposed to make the case for uh, Crystal Palace win and you started off by saying, I think it'd be a draw, actually. Uh, but anyway. Uh, no, but I had to make the case. And also, I didn't waffle. I put stats in there. Am I allowed to put the stats? are not waffle, are they? No, no, no. Sorry, Darren, I apologise. 
Uh, Lou, 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 can I have a judge's ruling on that, please? Let's make love not Well, love. let's just say if stats were waffle, that would be uh, all that Sam speaks. Oh. <laughs> I love you, Lou. I love you, Lou. I'll get in the queue ahead of Trevor Sinclair. <laughs> is customary here at the Amex Stadium. We've got Fat Boy Slim blasting out on the PA system. Big Brighton fan, of course. He'll be tuning into our coverage. I'm absolutely sure about that. It's often been said there is no such thing as home advantage this season. Perhaps these two teams are the greatest illustration of that. Brighton's last three Premier League victories here at the Amex have been strewn across three different calendar years. Here's a big chance for Brighton, and it's been tucked away. Adam Lallana gives Brighton the lead inside 10 minutes. It's his first goal since October of 2019. I mean, this is more to expect that we can take their points here. It was not really expected. Uh, we had now three games here, and we always uh, yeah, played different now. This was the most offensive and the most uh, brave uh, performance, and still, you see, it's not enough for us. Another defeat here for the Blood Blades for Southampton. It's the first win in 10, and it lifts them 10 points above the drop zone. It ends at Bramall Lane. Sheffield United nil, Southampton 2. Let's move on to Southampton against Brighton. Sunday noon, Talk Sport, a South Coast meeting of great footballing minds, tactical geniuses, beloved by the hipsters, Ralph Hasenhutl against Graham Potter. But two managers whose teams never win football matches. Um, it's uh, not that vital for Saints because they did actually win their first game in 10 uh, last week. But if they do manage to pick up three points here, Crook, then I'm not sure what that does for Brighton's already fragile confidence. I think if you look at Southampton's form in 2020, um, they would argue they do win a lot of football matches uh, when they're on song. They were Champions League contenders on that form. In obviously 2021? Fallen, obviously, it's fallen away uh, since the turn of the year. Various reasons for that. I actually thought they were great against Manchester City at times. They dominated the first 15 minutes, conceded a bad goal. I agree. Carried a goal threat in without Danny Ings. Shea Adams, sharp enough at one end, obviously a bit wasteful in possession at the other. But as you say, that win against Sheffield United just gives them a bit of breathing space. This is a huge game for Brighton. The first of two titanic matches for Graham Potter. They've got Newcastle at home next weekend. If they can't beat Newcastle at home, they may as well uh, pack up and go home and, and start planning their fixture in the championship next season. They've been playing well not winning games. It's been that way really since Graham Potter came in. I think he might just have to change his game plan a bit here. He did it after Project Restart, uh, scrapped the, the high press and the possession-based game, sat a bit deeper, tried to hit teams on the counter. I think if he does that against Southampton, they might just have a bit of joy. But there's no uh, breathing space now for Brighton, especially given that, that Fulham have got the wind uh, behind them. They need to start picking up victories and quickly. Uh, two titanic battles, he says, Darren. Um, is Brighton's uh, journey in the Premier League going to hit the iceberg? Yeah, I think it might well do. Brighton can... Uh, we all know those stats, don't we, around the amount of chances they have on goal and just how few goals they go on to score. That's their big problem. Whereas I think as far as Southampton are concerned, they can score goals. When you look at the Manchester City game, you, you think to yourself, City smashed them up. And they did. But... Southampton had their chances. Oh, yeah, they, they gave did. them a good game. They were brilliant. Yeah. Like the crook said it in the first 15 minutes. I actually thought, wow, 
Southampton have taken the game to Manchester City and Manchester City are, are, are going to have a little bit of a wobble here. And I think on, on a line through that, I, I could see Southampton hurting Brighton because Brighton are pretty, but very often they've got very little end product. Um, you can insert your own gag there, but I think as far as Southampton are concerned, they can take advantage of that. Theirs is still a very fragile confidence in Fulham. After the Manchester City game, they've got a run of fixtures that they could get something out of. So I think that they'll have both Burnley and Newcastle in their sights. Okay. Um, I asked you about the sports psychologist on Sunday, Crook. Uh, are Brighton using one to work with the strikers after 66 shots and one goal? You said, I will find out for you. Did you? No. Um, <laughs> Brighton haven't beaten Saints since 2012 when both were in the championship. Matt Sparrow and Jake Forster Kasky were on the score sheet. Wow. It's eight meetings now. Is there a bit of an inferiority complex, do you think, between Brighton and, uh, and Southampton? Or is it just that Brighton actually don't really beat anyone? They've drawn 11 and, uh, of the last 23 Premier League games. Well, there is a bit of a, a rivalry between the two teams and it's not geographical. Uh, some people do call this a South Coast derby. It, it, it takes an eternity to drive from Southampton to Brighton. So it's yeah. not a derby in that respect. But the, the, the animosity between the two teams goes back to when actually they were both uh, competing for promotion from League One. Uh, Nigel Atkins was the Southampton manager, made some disparaging comments about Brighton. Seagulls fans have, have never really forgiven Southampton for that. So there is a bit of an edge to the game. But there have been matches where Brighton have been the dominant force. I remember one in particular um, at St Mary's a couple of seasons ago. I think they went 2-0 up and ended up drawing 2-2. And again, maybe that's a microcosm for, for Brighton as a Premier League club. They just don't win... Uh, as many games as they should do. And, and that's, that's got to come down to mentality and to mindset. I think they're a bit nice, Brighton. I think they need a bit of a, a nastier edge, uh, particularly now they are in a relegation battle. And it's, it's interesting. Something that a sports psychologist could help with if you yeah. bother to find out whether they were using one. I, I will find out the answer to that um, this weekend. But just one point, Brighton have only actually been in the relegation zone once in their entire Premier League history and that was right at the start after they were promoted so although, although they have had a few skirmishes they, they've never really been embroiled in a scrap for survival that could be an issue for them between now and the end of the season just in terms of mentality and whether their players are up for the fight and Newcastle against Aston Villa is 8 o'clock on Friday night before all of the weekend's action Villa has slowed slightly but has there been any developments in the Newcastle Civil War Darren? Only in so much as heads are still in the sand over it. I mean, last weekend they got away with it a bit in so much as they drew against West Brom. But there's nothing that has come out of Newcastle so far to set, suggest either A, there is a cooling off on either side, um, and B, that there is anything about Newcastle that suggests to me that they can still stay up. I think Aston Villa will beat them. I think Newcastle are inconsistent and don't have enough of a spine. And I, I know that's quite strong stuff, but if you look at their, their run of results and the inconsistency in their results, it tells you that for all the money that they've spent, there isn't enough character in that squad. And they still do appear to be players who are not buying into Steve Bruce's tactics. Um, as Craig Hope from the Daily Mail, who was banned six days ago for writing a confirmed true story, uh, said last week, um, more moles than goals for Newcastle at the moment. Steve Bruce thought that a point against West Brom really, really pleased him. Uh, what is a really, really, really pleasing result for Newcastle here, Crook? Well, 
again, a point against Aston Villa on the face of it wouldn't be a, a bad result for Newcastle given their injuries and their and their lack of goals. But again, like Brighton, they're a team who really start needing to put points on the board and, and victories on the board. We, we know all about their injury problems. I think if they turn in the same performance they did against West Brom, Villa will win this game because Villa have got the attacking threats with um, Ollie Watkins, although his form has deserted him slightly of late I just but can't see where he still gives the rest of the team something else doesn't he you know he's, yeah. he, although he doesn't score he goes through patches where he doesn't score goals he, he's, he's good at running into channels dragging defenders out of position holding the ball up he, he, he's actually a useful tool for Aston Villa yeah and, and I just can't see where the goals are coming from from Newcastle that's not very revelatory because we know they've struggled for goals without Callum Wilson all season it's scary uh, the percentage of, of goals and assists that he has compared to their overall goals scored and obviously they're up against Emi Martinez one of the goalkeepers of the season and an Aston Villa back line much improved there's talk of Esri Concer uh, possibly getting an England call out for the next round of internationals I think Villa will win to nil. Yeah, Esri Conta, I mean, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because he's played very well over the course of the season. I think he's actually been brilliant at the heart of the uh, the Villa defence um, and could well find himself in the England squad for the upcoming internationals. Jack Grealish's position in that squad might be up for debate because he's going to miss this Newcastle game because of that lower leg injury. He's actually been ill this week and as a result of that has missed training significantly over the course of the, the last few days. So trying to get him ready for the Tottenham game is important because if he's not ready for that match then it's going to be difficult for Gareth Southgate to include him in the squad if he's not 100% match fit, especially with so many others in that position in, in, in the squad in form and, and ready to go. Yeah, I think whatever happens with the England squad, the one thing that we've learned over the past couple of weeks is that Aston Villa, sadly, look at the team still overly reliant on Jack Grealish. There was a period where defensively they were so good that you were talking about other players and other players were scoring goals as well. But in the recent run of games that had they won them, they'd have been in the mix to even at least draw level with West Ham, maybe even put themselves in a shot top four picture. They've dropped points left, right and centre. I don't think there's any doubt about the fact that Jack Grealish is going to be in the mix for a Euro Championships place. No, no. But I think in relation to Aston Villa, they've shown themselves to be a little bit rudderless without him. Uh, Matt Cash is going to be available for the game against Newcastle. That's important to him. Give him balance on that right-hand side. He's been very useful uh, since his transfer. Fulham against Manchester City is an 8 o'clock kickoff on Saturday night. And we talked about the, the Southampton-Manchester City game in which Phil Foden really should have had a penalty in, in that match. And again, wow. it's another huge VAR call. I was listening to Simon Jordan and uh, uh, Jim White on TalkSport this week and um, they were listing all of the positives that VAR had brought to the game over the, the course of the, the last month or so. The, the goals that had been uh, chalked off or you know, even... Eric Peters getting sent off and a penalty being given for Arsenal against Burnley um, and VAR interacting with the referee and changing that decision for the better. And there are a lot of examples where VAR has stepped in and got the right call. The issue is, is that there's still glaring mistakes. And that one, I think, was was one, wasn't it? I mean, Alex McCarthy's challenge, he never looked like he was going to get the ball. And the first reaction was, oh... It, he didn't get the ball. That's a penalty. And then when VAR tell you that there was no contact, you think, oh, okay, well, fair enough. They must have seen better angles than we have. And, and, and there was no contact. But when you realise that that wasn't the case and that actually he did kick him, I, 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 can't, I can't really find any sort of explanation as to why that wasn't given. It's inexplicable, um, especially given the, the, 
the cheap penalties that were being dished out for fun almost on a game-by-game basis at the start of the season. I know you've got the stats, Sam, uh, that, that show that penalty awards in general have dried up in the second half of the campaign. But that was an absolute stone wall. I suppose it won't get as much attention as maybe it should because it didn't change the outcome. Manchester City still running out comfortable winners. But there was no reason not to give that penalty. And you can tell by a player's reaction. And uh, Alex McCarthy looked a very worried man <laughs> when the referee put his hand to his ear. And he looked a very relieved man when he realised... I'm getting away with this and he did get away with it. Yeah. He also made a great save uh, just before the first Manchester City goal. A really top draw, top level save and only only to parry the ball straight into the path of Kevin De Bruyne who then put it off the crossbar and into the net and you just thought, oh, it's not going to be your day and it, then when they got a penalty at the other end you thought it might be their day and then Che Adams decided that what he would do is, is, is send the ball across the face of his own goal uh, because apparently his favourite player is Granit Xhaka and he wants to be like him. Um, Fulham had a great win uh, last weekend, organised, disciplined, and with no little threat as well, but that they have only scored in eight of their 14 home matches, Darren. You would suggest that that statistic is probably only going to get worse this weekend when they entertain Manchester City. But this is not the weekend that Fulham saves themselves, is it? As you've already mentioned, I I think they have to target the other matches that are upcoming. They've got Leeds who don't win in London next Friday. That's a massive game. They've got Villa away after that. Then the games in May with Burnley, Saints and Newcastle, all games that they should be looking at. They won't win all of those, but if they win three of them, I think they'll get to safety. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I, listen, none, let's not kid ourselves. We can make the case of Fulham, but it's hard to do that. And, and the reason why I say we could make the case for Fulham is because earlier in the season when Fulham were due to play Liverpool, I think we all were fairly fatalistic about them then. And they managed to get a point from Liverpool. And in this game, we can all basically speak to the obvious if you like but football is an unpredictable sport so I wouldn't want to be disrespectful by completely dismissing Fulham on paper it's very obvious that City should win but you just never know particularly given this stage of the season um, but Fulham should be looking at other games because in the reality is that they will have more of a chance in those games I must just say however one of the pictures of the season was Scott Parker clenched fists, screaming out his joy at the end of that Liverpool game the other day. Because I think as far as he's concerned, he's worked so hard, and we've said it over a number of weeks, to maintain the belief of his players and to get that result, to get within striking distance of the other two clubs above them. That in itself is one of the performances of the season for me. Okay. That's it from us. Uh, thanks to Darren Lewis and to Alex Crook. We're back on Monday morning as we glance uh, back on another mammoth weekend in the best league in the world, the Premier League. Please tell all your friends about us and download the Game Day uh, podcast. Subscribe to it and rate and review it as well. Have a great weekend. I hope your team wins. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.